Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Annika Dean. Thanks for having me. We're really happy to have you here, and and particularly given the fact that we actually haven't uh, talked about a key issue associated with uh, the oceans in climate change. And now you you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, Annika, but you are you're a senior researcher from the Climate Council of Australia. So for for our listeners out there, and and obviously we've just met for the first time. Myself, Jeremy, have just met you literally five minutes ago. So yeah, we rock up and uh, Annika's in our kitchen talking to one of the people. Well, it was good. At least you know, at least you weren't sort of stuck in the corner. But um, learning about ocean protect. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Welcome. What, what was your preconceptions about us? I, I think I overheard you say that we're a bit bigger than what you thought, or yeah, much bigger than than what I thought. Like when I rocked up and saw the big logo and the big big office. Um, yeah, I thought you were maybe a little NGO. Um, Sorry, right, I didn't yeah. actually think there was sort of a commercial aspect to to what you did. Yeah, um, well, that's... I thought maybe the podcast was the main thing. So it's apologies for no, 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 well, no. no the podcast is not the main thing. We make no money out of this. <laughs> so I could tell you that right now. Well, that's actually not true. Well, we, we personally make no money no, out no, of it. No, but we do, and, and and it's worth noting that any revenue that the podcast does make through ads or whatever, we give it away to charity. So we've got five nominated uh, non-for-profits that we donate to and essentially any revenue we get out of this podcast as per our uh, a couple of other initiatives like our online shop, we give all that money away. Um, but look, enough about us. <laughs> enough about you. <laughs> Can you tell us about yourself, Annika? Sure. So um, like as, as you said, I'm a senior researcher at the Climate Council um, and I focus mainly on um, the science and impacts of climate change, but a little bit also on the solutions. We try to be really um, sh- showing what the solutions are all the time and sort of pairing the problem with the solutions so that yeah. people can actually absorb the enormity of the problem actually and also realise that there's, there's things that we can do. I've been working at the Climate Council for about a year and prior to that I was lecturing actually at UNSW in, in climate change and energy policy. And my PhD was focused on climate finance in the Pacific. Um, so wow. it was actually, yeah, looking at efficacy of climate finance for um, addressing climate change impacts and adaptation in the Pacific. So I don't really come from a science background. It's more of an impacts and adaptation yeah. background and yeah in the pacific and you talked about you mentioned the the, the problem of climate change and, and the enormity of it how enormous is this problem well first and can, can i just ask a question yeah. i watched a um movie called vice it's about dick cheney and it's oh, christian bale 
love, love the guy. And in this movie, it basically indicates that the US government came up with this whole word, climate change. Do you know where the word climate or the, the phrase climate change came from? Can you first just shed some light on that? Because it, it basically says the US government were like, let's talk about climate change. I've heard that um, theory and it may be true. Um, I personally don't mind using the word climate change. I also don't mind using the word global warming. Yep. Both are accurate, more or less. Global warming is sort of how the whole climate change starts. So um, the greenhouse gases, which we've been emitting by burning fossil fuels um, mainly, and also land use change and agriculture and other things, um, are trapping more and more heat into that atmosphere. So the globe is warming. So global warming is what's happening. But there's a lot of different impacts. Um, the climate system is not sort of a linear system. It's mm. a very, very complex non-linear system. So climate change in a way does actually reflect what is happening or, you know, sometimes people would say climate crisis or yeah. um, because it's actually a very dangerous um, thing to change the climate system um, because of all these non-linear impacts. So I personally don't mind. Cool, but, I just want to settle that one down yeah, because some but, people <laughs> be like, oh, is it climate change? Is it global warming? Well, uh, yeah, I think it's probably more accurately described as climate change though, isn't it? Because you, you, we talk about global warming and then we have someone like uh, Donald Trump saying, oh, it's really cold here in America. Oh, that was Couldn't funny. possibly be global warming happening, you know? you know? Yeah, exactly. So climate change allows you to say, well, actually we're talking about the climate system. It's We're talking about long-term averages. doesn't mean that there's not going to be cold days and we still have seasons yeah. and winter's still going to be, co- you know, c- yeah. cold every yeah. now and then yeah. and there is variability in that. But the long-term average temperature is steadily rising. Okay, um, so the long-term average temperature is steadily rising. Now, I listen to Alan Jones only to see what the other side of the world is thinking and his radical sort of views about climate change, which doesn't exist. Have we gone through this before where the planet's heated up and then it cools back down again? Is this something that's – are we in unprecedented territory? Um, we, we base, Yes, we are in unprecedented territory. We Certainly um, we haven't had, you know, human civilizations like our human civilization yep. experience the type of um, – or the rapid increase in CO2 that's occurred and sort of the temperature rise that's, um, that has occurred, the rate of temperature rise that has occurred. So the rate is, is actually one of the most important things, um, that it's happening very, very rapidly and that it's really been in lockstep with rising greenhouse gas emissions. So we really understand mm. that this is the cause of the warming that we've seen and the fast pace of the warming means that a lot of systems can't adapt, including humans actually, but ecosystems in particular um, are, you know, very vulnerable to um rising temperatures, mm. some of them can slowly move to sort of climates that are more suitable um, to them, but a lot of them can't. And coral reefs are actually one of the most, that's sort of the canary in the coal mine mm. for um, climate change impacts on ecosystems. Um, we've seen, as many of your listeners would know, we've seen um, back-to-back. See, many of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting somewhere. We, we, we laugh that it's only our mums listening to this podcast, but we, we know that's not true. No, 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 many listeners. <laughs> I'll take that one. Yeah, I mean, Australians love um, the Great Barrier Reef. It's, it's a beautiful, um, incredible, incredible, yeah, uh, yeah asset, amazing, amazing asset that, that we have. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, Australians are aware that um, we've had back-to-back mass bleaching events and and this kind of – this is unprecedented actually. We've never had back-to-back mass bleaching events Um, and we've we've seen now more recently the sort of – the papers are coming out really showing what the impacts of those events were. There was one paper showing that the 2016 event alone caused um, about one-third of hard corals on the reef to – 
die during or in the eight months following um, after the event. And it isn't actually known exactly what, what impact the 2017 event has because there's still um, sort of surveys being conducted. But um, Professor Terry Hughes from the Centre of Excellence for Coral Reef Studies has anecdotally said that about one in every two corals, hard corals on the reef, has sort of died as a result of the 2016 and 2017 event. bleaching events. Wow. Um, and this is on the back of sort of long-term declines in um, hard coral cover mm. from, you know, tropical cyclones and uh, a few other smaller bleaching mm. events that have happened and also outbreaks of crown of thorns starfish. So the reef is really in danger. It's in threat. There was actually another paper that came out just um, I think last week showing that 89% less corals, juvenile, juvenile corals, are settling on the reef and that's basically because dead adult corals don't make babies. So basically yeah. there's just been less spawning um, of corals and so there's 89% less settlement on the reef and that that really shows that this is a really, really serious problem because reefs can sometimes recover yeah. from bleaching events but this is showing that the recovery and the, you know, is, is really not looking very good um, and the corals that are on the reef now are basically the, the really small corals that, that were there when the bleaching events happened and they're sort of growing up but it might take two to ten years for those corals to actually reach an age where where they're mature and when where they spawn. And if we get bleaching events in that time, which is very, very likely, then, you know, it will yeah, seriously like compromise kicking, the resilience the of the reef. Down. And so what's the key factor contributing to those back-to-back? Ah, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was marine heat waves. So yeah. corals are very, very vulnerable to um, marine heat waves, um, yeah. basically, which are like prolonged sort of – Elevated temperatures elevated in the water. temperatures, yeah. yeah, that are unusual for that time of mm. year. So when temperatures reach about 1 to 1.5 degrees above the maximum sort of normal usual yeah. temperature for that time of year, um, corals experience stress. They release this um, symbiotic algae called zooxanthellate and um, then they sort of basically starve because those zooxanthellate sort of help to feed the corals. So they either die straight away or they slowly starve. So um, if they- and one, one thing I've noticed, and, and with that sort of criticising Alan Jones too much, but one thing we've sort of reiterated a few times on a few different issues related to ocean health is unless you've got data, you're just someone with an opinion. Yeah. Uh, and and one one reason I'm, I'm particularly keen to hear, like the information that you're providing, is this is science. Uh, this is this is utilizing data. So could you could could you give some sort of indication as to what sort of the, the data that you guys use, scientists and um, Climate C- uh, Council of Australia? What what sort of data do you use to demonstrate that this is an unprecedented event, and not just the two back to back reef sort of um, bleaching events, but just the overwhelming increase in, in, in air and atmospheric and, and and global sea temperatures? I mean, what what is that based on? Um, so we don't generally collect data, but the data that we use is collected by the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, for um, global data, we use um, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration um, in the US and World Meteorological Organization. Other, other than that, we sort of rely on peer-reviewed journal articles and we, we mainly focus on synthesising that information and sort of translating it into information that's more easily understandable to the average person and yeah. also making that information accessible because a lot of it's behind, um, you know, it costs a lot of money yeah. to actually have access to these journal yeah. um, databases and, and things like that. So that's, yeah. And one, one of the one of the, the documents that I've read recently and, and it comes out every year or has, has it over the last few years is this State of the Climate Report, which is put out, put out by the Australian government and the CSIRO. And the data within that is, it's pretty depressing, if I'm honest. It's, it's 
like it, you can see essentially just this trend, the, 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 the air temperatures, the, the sea temperatures, uh, just gradually increasing over time. It's readily available. It's, it's, it's actually a, even from a non-technical background, it's pretty easily sort of understood, but the facts and figures, uh, in there, uh, are extraordinarily depressing. That's data that goes back 100, 100 years at least. Yeah, so that's right. We've, we've got a, quite a big collection now of observed data, but mm. we can also collect data from, for example, ice cores, mm. um, tree rings. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different places where we can sort of look back and see what the correlation between greenhouse gases and temperature w- was at different points in mm. time. And ice cores is one of the main yeah. things. And then looking forward as well, we sort of use that to – um, input into models to, to get a better picture yeah. of, um, you know, models of the climate system and then to get a big, better picture of actually how this will play out. Yeah, and obviously using those models to predict future scenarios, future scenarios as well. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. very interesting. So, like, just to clarify, and it's amazing how we have to have this almost, I have to ask this question, but is climate change definitely happening? Climate change is unequivocally happening. Um, you can Boom. look at... <laughs> stuff you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, stuff us all, really. Like, we're all, it's a pretty gruesome outcome for all of us. Do you drive but- an electric car? No, but I, I, I work, work work from home sometimes and I, and I walk and run and cycle I've a lot. I just purchased a li- an electric car, so Well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> hang on, okay. And my other car runs on um, ethanol, so bugger off. But you still eat meat though, don't you? Um, yes. Oh, well, we can talk about solutions a little bit later. So yeah. I want to hear from Annika though. So yes. unequivocally you're saying climate change without a shadow of a doubt is definitely a thing. It's definitely happening and it's definitely caused by or contributed by uh, anthropogenic as in human yes. um, activities. Climate change is definitely being caused by human activities. Um, you, can look at the, you can look at the data. Um, surface temperatures have been rising steadily, yeah. um, accelerating since the 1950s. Ocean temperatures actually have been rising even more steadily. There's, mm. all, there's very, very little variability yeah. um, in ocean temperatures. Oceans actually absorb about 90% of the heat, of the added heat that has been added to the atmosphere. Um, That's actually a really good figure. That's we've got to remember that. So, well, just because we always think about, um, you know, the ocean. Uh, every second breath we take is because of the ocean. We get thirty percent of our food from the ocean, mm. but the ocean also absorbs ninety percent of the heat that yeah. the Earth gives off. Mm. Yeah, and Boom. actually, Nugget. another kind of good sort of stat <laughs> yeah. is that the ocean has been um, absorbing um, the equivalent of four Hiroshima bombs per second of heat. What? That's yeah. That's pretty hot. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of d- different amounts if you look at different time frames. But, yeah, so it's, a, it's about between three and six um, Hiroshima bombs worth of energy that the ocean is absorbing per second um, now. So wow. last year the ocean absorbed 150 million Hiroshima bombs worth of energy. Um, and 2018 was actually the hottest year on record for the oceans. And it, it really is very steady. I mean, and, and that's the thing about some of these stats and the, and the state of the climate wow. report goes into it. I mean, the, 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 was it 10 hottest years have happened in the last 11 years? We've, we've just come out of March, our hottest March of all time. Uh, it's always like the hot, this, that the last summer was always the hottest. It's just like we're going into this unprecedented sort of territory of every climate statistic you, you, that you hear or look at or, or whatever points to the same thing. Climate change is Absolutely, definitely happening. So uh, I don't know about you. I'm keen to get your thoughts, but every time I hear someone going, "Ah, you know, it's just a bunch of scientists you're making stuff up," you're just someone with an opinion. I, I, no, no offense, Alan, but I, Alan Jones, <laughs> but you've but got a, he's got a lot more money than us. Well, well, well I just, I just, it's think an opinion. It's all. It's, an, it's yeah. an opinion. Like you know, I think if you're going to make claims about that, those sort of things that can actually affect the livelihoods of everybody on this planet. Um, you really need to back that with some appropriate data. And 
if, if you can't, maybe get on the phone to someone like Annika and say, hey, what do you think? But, but, but why are people still, I mean, oh, see, I, why are people still saying, oh, is it really happening, is it not? What is their political driver? Is that just the industrial, you know, a Denny Cole type thing? What, 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 why do people go around the world, nah, it's, it's a myth? Why are we climate deniers, Annika? Why? I think there's lots of different reasons. Um, I think in general, I mean... Um, We're all morons. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it. We're all morons. I think that basically people – there's lots of different reasons why people don't um, accept the science. Some people just aren't aware or don't understand it. Some people are scared and they don't understand what the solutions are and that there are solutions and it's sort of easier, I think, for people to just um, deny it. And some people it it does, um, you know, solutions to climate change, although there's there's many opportunities out there, there's also risks – to certain people, certain um, industries, I suppose, in in acting on climate change, so they have sort of vested interests, I suppose, in um, spreading. Yeah, okay. So I'll say that. I think that that's the key message. The people who are, are making a dollar out of the status quo have a vested interest in making keeping, sure yeah, that status we, quo we, we continues just on. About, we just talked about this with Tim. Tim Silverwood. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked about it. So Nestle, for instance, in their packaging, well, they're going to keep making money and keep the status quo. Just like what we've said now. Yeah. They're not going to change. Why, yeah. why, why would they? Why would am I going to buy yeah. some biodegradable stuff that's going to cost me more? Yeah, if, it, if it's impacting on their bottom line. They're not going to change. Yeah, why would so, they? So, I mean, on the way here, we the Adeni coal mine has just got approval. The groundwater management plan has been approved. Now we've got to wait for the Queensland government to approve it. Is that right? Um, as far as I understand, the... the the process around this might have been, has been very complicated because it's obviously there's so many people who are opposed to it and there's been lots of court cases and there's been lots of um, sort of extra processes that have been involved. But, yes, as far as I understand, um, yeah, yeah, it still needs to be approved by the Queensland so, government. So you know, we were just talking about on the way here and, and, and Brad goes, you know, it's just such the wrong message to be sending the world. And I said, well, what, what do you mean by that, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, that we're going to still rely on coal and Interestingly enough that I didn't know, a lot of that coal we're just going to ship offshore. We're not even using it to power our own country. Yeah, well, we don't need it anyway. I mean, renewables are actually the cheapest form of new energy. They're actually the cheapest form of energy for SOP now. And Well, we're talking solar, wind, everything. It's cheaper. It's cheaper than coal. Well, what the hell is going on? Because that's that's not hitting mainstream media. Yeah, well, I mean... Investment in renewables was about, I think, $20 billion last year. So it is ramping up uh, and that's because it is cost effective. It, it you know, doesn't, doesn't produce greenhouse gas yeah. emissions. Um, yeah, it, it is ramping up. And actually also in, in India um, and China, they're moving rapidly towards renewables. Um, I, I went to a presentation um, where Tim Buckley from the Institute for Energy and Financial Analysis was talking and he was saying um, he was he does a lot of work in India and he was just showing that, you know, the pace that they're moving away from coal in India, which is where we, yeah. you know, supposedly want to export, export this yeah. coal to, um, they just don't want it basically. Wow. Um, the demand is just, you know, peeling yeah, off. And, 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 and he was pointing also to the opportunities. He was saying... Um, you know, there's so many opportunities actually in Australia to support battery technology. We have all basically the we have rare earth um, minerals. We have lithium, all these minerals that are essential basically to the renewable revolution. And we're not actually figuring out how to 
mine them, value add to them, actually create the batteries, um, be part of this, you know, renewables revolution. Instead, we're focusing on this coal technology, which is rapidly declining in value. It's basically just going down to zero. Yeah, um, old, dirty technology so and other countries, developing countries, are actually innovating. But what's been put out in the media, especially around the last few weeks, is that we need coal power for baseline power here in Australia. Apparently we need that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, the wind, the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine, so we need a baseline of yeah, power. Yeah, because apparently, um, I can't quite remember, but people are having to top up our power at the moment with emergency stuff because apparently we're pulling too much power. I mean... I mean, this is mainstream media. Uh, Are you able to comment on that, Annika, at all? Um, Yeah, I mean, did you have a shower this morning? (laughs) Hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Did it rain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it didn't rain. So we use storage systems basically yeah. to, to harness water and then transport it to where it, need, where, we, where it needs to be when we want it. And yeah. the same can be done for power. We've got battery technology. There's um, other technologies like pumped hydro, which, you know, won't be great if we don't actually transition to renewables. But if we transition to renewables, um, it's a fantastic way mm. of backing up that power. We will need a bit of a transformation of our grid. So demand response is another thing, yeah. making sure that we're actually planning things in a strategic way to have a diverse range of sources of renewables so that we have, um, you know, you can, you can plan it very well actually. Mm. Um, and and the um, AEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator, has basically put a integrated system plan of what, you know, the grid could look like, where where the renewable energy zones should be in the future, where the transmission should be. I'll tell you where um, the renewable bloody zone should be. We live in Australia. I mean, put some solar across the, the middle of Australia. I mean, we've got enough room out there. Yeah, for sure. Can, do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't understand yeah. how we're not so far ahead. I mean, you look over in Europe and the amount of wind farms that are going up, sure. you know, the amount of solar, solar energy that's mm. being created and, you know, the countries are going off grid for a day or two or whatever. Why are we not? Yeah. In what? some ways we are actually doing really well and we are actually leaders. For example, in um, solar PV, rooftop solar, yeah. we're – Basically world leaders. Two million households in Australia now have solar. That's about one in five households. We have one of the most um, decentralised... Yeah, but on that though, how old is that technology? Because I have saw something recently that some of the solar panels that were put in, say, you know, five plus years ago, they're actually not giving them the output that they were sort of intended for or, or sold for. So... 
we might have two million um, solar panels on households, but are they all running efficiently? I don't know, but I've just read something about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is rapidly increasing in, in its efficiency. So, um, you know, in systems that were installed 10 years ago, they might, might not be yeah. producing as much power as, as sort of equivalent size systems today. But the point is that um, we are... We are actually moving quite quickly towards renewables. Okay. Um, it's just what we need is um, a clear policy signal from um, government that that's really where we want to go because, you know, the renewable energy target has been really effective in facilitating um, the uptake of renewable energy. When Tony Abbott was considering lowering the renewable energy target, there, there was sort of a period of un- uh, about a year of uncertainty and investment in renewables, in large-scale renewables, just really went down then. Um, and Good then, on you, Tony. <laughs> and then sort of when it was confirmed that we would have a target, it was just slightly reduced, investment in renewables went up. So what, what investors need, I think, it's, is yeah, they, need they need certainty. Assured. Yeah, for sure. And for for large-scale renewables, yeah. they need, you know, if they're going to invest $250 million, they need to know that the federal government isn't going to underwrite a new coal-fired power station, yeah. which isn't yeah. actually economic, yeah. um, or well, approve and, new and you know, we're not going to get, coal mines. You're, they, you're not yeah. going to get that in the current market with current political state of play. I mean, geez, oh, two years ago, oh, sorry, uh, within the last year, we had a, a previous prime minister. We're about to have three prime ministers in the space of 12 months. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to get any certainty in the market? Because it's not just renewables. It's that's everyday business. I mean, how are people going to go out and invest money in anything without the assurity that the government's going to keep that policy up? So, no, I, that's a really valid point. And and, and how's the state government here in uh, New South Wales? We don't have a minister for the environment anymore. Do you know that? The minister for the environment at a state level has just been put into planning. Mm. Google it. There's no one. There's no one minister for the environment. Do you find that depressing? Oh, that is depressing. <laughs> yeah, the whole climate change scenario, the the, the, the consequences, the impacts, uh, how badly we're actually managing this completely obvious uh, and uh, likely devastating problem is embarrassing. Like, yeah, like uh, I think we've spoken about the Greta Thunberg, is it or Thunberg from? Uh, like she 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 speaks for the generation. You know, the the younger generation and people who who will probably live for another 50, 60 years, they're going to actually live with the consequences of our complete, I wouldn't say complete, but certainly lack of action. You know, we're, I think Annika's right, we are doing some good things. You know, there's there's a significant uptake in solar power um, at an individual household level and there are some sort of initiatives that we see, at least within Australia, um, to improve our energy systems and make them uh, a little bit less um, sort of greenhouse gas emitting, for example, and, and less environmentally destructive. But we're still a long way from actually doing as, as much as we really should be doing. Would you think that's a fair call? Uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. So we've got we have got a massive um, task ahead of us. Mm. About you know roughly twenty percent of our um, energy comes um, from renewables, so we need to get the rest of the eighty yeah. percent um, from renewables, yeah. um, and that's only about you know, roughly 30% of our emissions, our electricity yeah. sector. So then yeah. we need to focus on, you know, decarbonising our transport sector that makes up about nearly 20% of our emissions um, and then, you know, decarbonising industry, agriculture. Well, well let's, so get a, so let's get a let's get a feel for like, so we've, we've focused a lot on power systems. Um, so where, where are the key sources of greenhouse gases in Australia? So we've spoken a lot about energy and, and power. So what proportion of that, 
of the greenhouse gas sort of emissions in Australia is from those sort of key It's sources. roughly about 30%. 30%. So we can go and a emission, long way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yep. emissions have slowly been declining actually in the electricity sector, just just slowly, yep. just because of the uptake in renewables. Yep. But emissions in the transport sector have been rising and that's because of population growth, mm. more and more people driving cars. Cars are the main source of um, yeah. emissions in the yep. transport sector. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So industry, cars. Yep. So, yeah. And agriculture. So can you talk to agriculture in terms of the in greenhouse gas impacts in, in relation to that? Yeah, so we at the Climate Council, um, we don't really focus on on agriculture just because um, sort of electricity is the really low-hanging fruit. It's really cost-effective. The solutions are available. Um, the technology is available. Um, there's no, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so we focus on that. We, we, we also focus on transport. We're starting to focus more on transport. Um, but there are a lot of solutions in the agriculture um, space. It's just a little bit. Um, more difficult to implement them. Um, it, it is a bit more of a demand and supply situation. So an easy an easy thing to do in a way would be to introduce a carbon price that covers the whole economy. Yeah. That would kind of um, fix the problem. But yeah. if we're going to do it sector by sector, there is technologies, for example, there's been some research, CSIRO has been doing research into a type of seaweed that um, can be cows. a supplement yeah. for cow feed and it can significantly reduce methane emissions from livestock. But it's a bit of a challenge figuring out how to get this into the diet of, for example, pasture-fed mm. um, livestock. So that, that's sort of a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah, th- there's... So, so can I come on on that? So <laughs> I actually, and Jeremy knows where I'm going for this, so like, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I'm a passionate vegan. Okay, so I, I don't eat eggs dairy, meat, any animal products. Mate, I think everyone knows what a vegan is. You've well, said it how many times <laughs> on the show. So, and I, I do it for various reasons, but a key reason for why I am vegan is for environmental reasons. And to be honest, I, I see it as, to be honest, I think it's, it's a really easy thing to do. At least a really easy thing for an individual to do is to reduce your consumption of animal products. Uh, for me, I've found a lot of health benefits. I play sports. I've found a lot of athletic benefits associated with just what, adopting. What sport do you play? I do triathlon. Oh, okay. Have you don't think that's a sport? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> did, 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 I, did I say that? So, uh, yeah, so I've, I've done triathlon for about uh, 15 years. I've won a whole bunch of national titles and sprint Olympic distance. Yeah, this is about Anakin, yeah. not about you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm just pointing out the fact that triathlon is a sport. And, uh, I've won. And, uh, no, no. I'm a big deal. <laughs> but what I, wanted, what I wanted to talk about is, uh, from my perspective. That's um, an easy way to hit agriculture. Yeah, so, for example, uh, it's going to be, I, I think, as much as it's, it is easy for, for government introduce policy to maximise renewable energy uptake and and basically don't allow new new coal mines etc surely the easiest thing we can do as a population and as a country is actually reduce our consumption of animal products like we've seen with roughly about 11 percent of people in australia identify themselves as vegan vegetarian or people who rarely eat meat and that that number is not actually, me and that is actually numbers um growing significantly um and and and, and there's had a whole bunch of benefits. You know, animal agriculture is the number one cause of deforestation and biodiversity loss in Australia. It's a it's a key source of greenhouse gas emissions. Depending on who you listen to, it can range from 13 to 51 percent of greenhouse gas emissions. And it's something we can actually do tomorrow. So in our next meal, we can basically choose to not eat meat or at least reduce our consumption of 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 animal products. Um, so for my mind, that's actually a really easy solution for us to implement. But the Climate Council stay away from that one because you're trying to hit the energy sector first and then is that something that you would go on to next? But Yeah, so I mean I think I think you're right and I think for people who, you know, feel fine about that, it's true. Reducing your meat consumption can can have a really 
good impact on your on reducing your personal greenhouse gas emissions and also your personal um, you know footprint on the planet um, because meat also takes a lot of water yeah. to produce and mm. and, and all, all of that but it is a bit of a um, you know when it's just a bit personal. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about with people, especially if they don't want to m- reduce their meat consumption. Yeah. So it's sort yeah, of one yeah. of those things that you can make the choice if you want to uh, and feel good about it. Boom. <laughs> but for uh, uh, Mike. Is, it really is. It a, so you're saying it's a more of a personal choice. I just, yeah, I think it's it's a difficult uh, sort of thing to uh, look, mandate or legislate. Uh, look, I agree. Or, I, I agree. It's I, a personal I, choice. We issue. can't mandate it. Uh, yeah. Well, not just yet anyway. From the supply I mean? side, we can try and, you know, develop technologies that help reduce um, emissions. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and from yeah, the yeah. demand side, we can, you know, point out the fact that maybe people can reduce their meat consumption, especially beef. Maybe yeah. people can, um, you know, eat more free-range Eggs or whatever, <laughs> which have a lot of emissions, <laughs> embedded emissions. But um, yeah, we just sort of tend to stay away from that, just because it, it actually isn't the biggest sector, um, and it's also one of those ones. That's, it's a little bit difficult to make an impact, and um, you sort of, yeah, yeah. Inter- it's an interesting conversation because I, I see it as, as as a really low hanging fruit. Like it's it's a it's yeah, a, but that might, but but, but also you've got to convince so many individual people to change their mind. What's wrong with that? No, 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 no but, but what Annika's saying is is you best to okay, if, 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 legislation. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's like the Israel Folau thing, you know. That's his personal view. He's come out. He's been sacked. Actually, Alan Jones has actually backed him, um, backed uh, Israel Folau and going, this is a slippery slope because it's freedom of speech. That's an individual person. So, You're talking about an individual choice. No, no I'm not. That's my point. Why? Because a, a, a personal choice is only a personal choice if I don't have an impact on other people. If I if I choose to punch you in the head, for example, yeah, we go. You can't you can't say that's a personal choice because I'm actually you know, hurting you've made you. a choice. Yeah, but it's a personal choice, but it's it's not a very appropriate choice because I'm so, actually oh, having. Yeah. Let me finish. I'm having an impact on on your well being. And, and so you're saying by me eating meat, I'm hurting you. I absolutely. Well, think. stop driving your car. It's got petrol in it. <laughs> I, but uh, there's, there's 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 things that I need to do in my day to day activities that Is actually that are. Is that why essential. vegans are so? Let me finish. Let, let me know. It's, there's things that I need to do in my day to day activities that are essential. And sometimes I need to get in the car. Sometimes I need to you know, get in a bus or whatever. But do I need do I need to eat meat? Do I need to eat eggs? Do I need to drink dairy? No, I think no, everyone I don't. makes their own choices, and I think you've you've sort of illustrated that there are so many decisions that we make on an everyday basis that. Um, you know, that we can sort of weigh up, do we really need to do this? Um, maybe we do um, for now. You know, we live in a society that um, where, you know, it might be difficult to, even if we get in a bus, it's probably going to be run on fossil fuels, you know, even if we get on public transport for now. But, you know, we can, there's opportunities almost every day to make make decisions and think about whether we can make decisions mm. that have a lesser mm. impact on the planet. And I, and I so, think everything we can do to actually encourage those decisions and actually make, improve the uh, understanding of the public of the consequences of those actions, the better. So, for example, a lot of people think you need to eat meat. They think it's a necessary thing. This, that's just totally wrong. Uh, a lot of people think you need to drink milk to have strong bones and teeth. Trust me, that's not right. Um, there's there's all these things that uh, I think there's misconceptions around what we need to do. And there's certainly essential activities that we need to undertake in a day-to-day life, such as driving a car or jumping on a bus. But we can certainly go a long way to actually minimising our own impacts as individuals. But collectively, we have a significant opportunity to actually minimise our impacts as a country by by behavioural change. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.